back to Mum Talk. So we are episode 10. I literally cannot believe we have 10 episodes running of Mum Talk. But this week, we're going to roll straight into it. I am with Siobhan Miller, who is the Positive Birthing Company. Hello! Hello! (laughs) I feel so blessed to have her here. Siobhan is a hypnobirthing queen, um, and she is here to share us with us all of her knowledge on hypnobirthing and then I will also ask her all of the questions that I ask all of my guests on the podcast but we're going to go straight into it so hopefully we will answer all of your questions and you will enjoy listening. So hello, welcome. Hiya. Hello. <laughs> um, so the first thing that I just want to ask you is you are a mum of three. Yes insanely ranging from 2 to 11 yes crazy (laughs) absolutely crazy um what does your day look like like on an average day oh you run your own incredible business as well like what does a typical day for you look like in the world of motherhood quite chaotic I bet bet. (laughs) at odds with my whole um what I do you know teaching hypnobirthing and about being calm and relaxed you know the behind the scenes is a very different story um it starts yeah waking up the babies wake I call them babies but the two and three year old obviously wake up quite early um I'm really really bad in the mornings I am the worst morning person but I'm also a night owl Mm -hmm. so what has sort of happened in our house without there being any discussion is that James, my partner, he goes to bed, I'd say at a normal time, but still quite late. He probably goes to bed about midnight, and I will generally work till like two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning sometimes. And then he will get up in the morning first. So we've sort of fallen into this pattern where it's not a good pattern, where (laughs) he goes to bed earlier and gets up earlier, and I go to bed later and get up slightly later. So he will get up with the children and start doing their breakfast, and then I'll get up. And that's when he brings me a cup nice. of tea, he brings me oh, a cup of tea. Oh, that's so sweet. I literally am the worst person in the morning without a cup of tea. I am <laughs> not not functioning anyway. And then he goes off to work and I get the children out. Three days a week, the children go to nursery, the little ones every day. The older one goes to school. So I do the school run and nursery run. And then I get back home and then I just try and work. And yeah. I on the nursery days, I, I literally sit at a laptop and I don't. Don't, I, I, don't, I don't go to the loo, I don't eat food, I don't, I just work until the time to go and do the school pickup and the, and the nursery run, um, which isn't, I don't advocate that as a healthy way of, of living, but that's what my day kind of looks like now. And then I get them home and um, my eldest is amazing because he actually will look after the little ones. You mm. can actually trust him to keep an eye on the little Aww. ones. So that's quite good because that then allows me time to either make food or do washing or sort stuff out or finish work off if I've still got things that I haven't quite got through. Mm. Um, and then James will get home and we'll have dinner. Um, and then it's got the bedtime routine. And then, yeah, back to work. Oh, that's, my goodness. That's this... my day right now. My day's right now. That's been like that for quite a long time now. Yeah. But this is a particularly hectic this time for you, right? This is a hectic time for me. pretty much had another baby through the Positive have, Birthing Company. Well, yeah, the Positive Birth Company has been running for quite a few years now. Right. But it's the launch of my digital pack. That's yeah. kind of really ramped things up. 
So and it does feel a little bit like this is a new thing. Obviously, well, the digital pack is a new thing, but it feels like it's made my business feel new. But actually, I've been teaching hypnobirthing now for several years. But um, the digital pack, yeah, it launched on the 19th of March. So six weeks ago yesterday. Wow. It does. It feels like a baby. Look, I even know yeah. how many weeks old my baby yeah. is. I'm like, it's six weeks and a day old today. <laughs> it's growing very well. It was sort of take it for regular weigh-ins. <laughs> it is my baby. And I, yeah, worked worked on that four months, like for months and months, just every single day. And now, even though it's launched, it's not quite, that's a wrap and then just move on. Because mm. obviously, it's promoting it. People are buying it. People have questions. Um, I run this kind of online community, which I have got help doing now for kind of ongoing supports. But yeah, it's it's full on. And obviously, I still do my regular stuff, which is teaching yeah. uh, three courses a month in mm-hmm. London, Devon and Birmingham and Amazing. the book. So, so, so it's a particularly busy, busy time at the minute. Yeah, it's a, it's a juggle. That's amazing. Plus being a mum of three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I wouldn't I wouldn't advocate it as a healthy, a healthy lifestyle. And I am obviously <laughs> trying to yeah. wind things down and get a better balance. Everything should balance out with these things though, isn't it? Like I know yeah. at any time I launch something new, there's a massive yeah. influx. Like when I launched the podcast, it was also new. I, it took me a long time yeah. to do things, <clears throat> but now I'm like episode 10. Yeah. I've got into it 10 weeks on yeah. kind of. And now it's just super easy. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm meant to do. Hopefully that. And and I'm getting help, you know, um, so people, you know, to work for the Positive Birth Company, helping with various things. So that's that's easing things off a little bit. Obviously, once the book's written, it's written. So that's one project. And... um, yeah. Have you got a publisher or are you self-publishing? No, yeah, I got a book deal. Amazing. Hash, Hachette book, Hachette oh, UK. Um, so yeah, I'm writing to their deadlines. Yeah, that's yeah. tough, isn't it, when you've got a deadline? Although I guess it makes it a proper end. That there is an done. end in sight, yeah. It feels a bit like a really extended dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it, is, it is like a dream to write. I shouldn't complain about writing a book. It is literally a dream come true. Yeah. Uh, it's just a lot of work. It's amazing. So I saw on your Instagram the other day that you already have a thousand people tuning into your digital back. Yeah, over 1,500 now. That is incredible. Yeah. That is absolutely amazing. And I checked it out. Um, Sean kindly sent me the link and I've had a little look and there is so much information on there. I cannot wait to get stuck um, in and just... It's literally blow my mind. It's incredible. <laughs> it has, yeah, it's just exceeded like all my expectations. And being so well received. It's yeah. so fantastic. And yeah, it's just the feedback is amazing. Like every yeah. day I'm getting stories and messages and Aww. it's just incredible. I feel really guilty. I can't get back to every single person that messages me, but it, it is amazing to be able to wake up and then like see these messages and there's people just being like, I had my baby this morning and oh. it was absolutely incredible and I wouldn't have been able to do it. And, and like, it was just, you know, just incredible messages like every day. It's, yeah, it's the best feeling. I get that with this podcast. Yeah. I get so many DMs through Instagram yeah. and emails just of people sharing and how yeah. actually, even though this is so new, how yeah. important this podcast is in their week yeah. that they can listen to other mums yeah. or last week's podcast was with my beautiful friend Annie of Mind Body Bowl and listen if you haven't listened. Um, and she's just a friend. She's not yeah. pregnant. She's just a friend watching her friends get pregnant. Yeah. And I thought it'd be really interesting to talk yeah. to her about actually how does that feel? Yeah. How, you know, she's such an amazing support to me, but I know that I was pretty shit support to my friends when they were pregnant because I had no idea. Like, yeah. what do you say? What's the right thing? Do, yeah. You know, do they really want help or do they just want time for yeah. I just didn't really know what to do. So, and Annie's been so great, so I thought it'd be really cool for her to share on it. So, 
um, yeah, I get lots of feedback, and it's the nicest yeah. thing. It's the nicest it? thing. The they love for something thing. that you've worked like really hard doing, yeah. and you put it out there, and it does. It feels like a baby, and yeah. you put it out there, and you just hope you yeah. hope that people are going to like it, and then yeah. when you get the love back for it, you're like, this is yeah. this is amazing, and it really yeah spurs me to keep going. I have so much I want to ask you, and I really don't know where to start, but I think we should probably start on what is hypnobirthing because you kind of as a pregnant woman as you probably know as well you you have all these little things kind of always so these seeds sown during your pregnancy of what maybe to have like hypnobirthing or a doula yeah. or you know and I have to be honest I really don't know what hypnobirthing is mm. and I'm sure I'm not the only one so yeah. Enlighten us. Tell us what is it. Try and explain in a nutshell. It is um, simply, uh, uh, you know, how I would describe it is it's it's an antenatal program of education. Really, that's all it is. You mm-hmm. know, so there are techniques, you know, hypnobirthing techniques, but really hypnobirthing. What that word is, it's a it's a form of antenatal education. So you would sign up to a hypnobirthing course, and you would expect to receive classes, you know, whether online or in person to educate you about childbirth. Okay. <laughs> and so in that in its simplest form that's what it is. Um it doesn't involve hypnosis or <laughs> anything strange like that. The the best one that I've heard of what people expect hypnobirthing to be was once when I went to teach um, a couple it was like a private booking and the dad thought that I was going to hypnotize the mum <laughs> and then communicate with the unborn baby. What? through the womb somehow <laughs> speak to the baby I was like I'm really sorry I'm not that's that's outside of my skill set oh my um, so it's nothing like that at all so it really is just a really logical approach to birth it's evidence-based so a lot of what I cover which is surprising to people I think when they sign up um, is that I cover a lot of science you know talk about the physiology of of birth and the psychology oh, wow. of birth and how the muscles work the hormones that you produce what hormones you want and you don't want and what you can do to facilitate <laughs> on a muscular level, the easiest, most straightforward birth that you can have. So yeah. it, it really is quite scientific more than anything else. And then uh, the hypnobirthing techniques are essentially relaxation techniques, which again are like life skills, not you know, not anything really strange or, you know, it's mm-hmm. breathing techniques and light touch massage and a kind of guided relaxation exercises that you can do to get into a place where you're relaxed because when you're relaxed, you're producing oxytocin, which is the hormone you need for birth to happen. And if you're producing adrenaline, the, the, the kind of consequences of producing adrenaline is that things become slower and more uncomfortable. Yeah. And so to avoid being in that situation, having practical tools you can use to stay relaxed is obviously hugely beneficial. And those are tools that you can use for all births. You know, a lot of people come to hypnobirthing wanting a natural birth, but there are so many variables in pregnancy and birth mm. that we can't control for. You know, things like gestational diabetes. You, you don't get gestational diabetes because you didn't practice hypnobirthing. <laughs> no amount of relaxation is going to control for things like that. So sometimes things have to change and we, we can't have, you know, it's not, it's not the right birth for us to have a natural birth. So, you know, I find it's very important to me that I equip people with the tools for all births so that mm. no matter how things are panning out they are able to navigate that birth with confidence and meet their baby calmly and feeling happy and empowered oh. you know whether that's in theatre or in a birth pool or at home you know wherever it is and that's a question I get asked a lot you know I'm being induced can hypnobirthing still work for me and I honestly believe that hypnobirthing as a set of tools and as a kind of education as, as knowledge is even more important yeah. if you're being induced, mm-hmm. you know, because it's great if your birth is straightforward and uncomplicated and easy, 
But actually, when things become more challenging, that's when it's even more important to have a set of tools to empower yourself, to be informed, to be able to make decisions, to be able to stay calm and relaxed. So there is no situation where hypnobirthing will not benefit the mum, the Mm. baby and, and the birth partner. It's so funny because you think with the word hypno... Yeah, that's the problem. (laughs) It is, isn't it? Because I didn't know any of that. And it, like, in a way, I, you know, I mean, I literally now cannot wait to listen to all your videos. That's really exciting because I am very much science-based Yeah, I love stats. It's all based on stats. It's evidence-based. There is, yeah, it's not... It's not what people think, I th- no. and I get that a lot. It's, Where's you know, that name come from then? It's yeah. weird, isn't and it? In class, I explain that it sort of has developed from hypnotherapy. You know, hypnotherapy right. is a talking therapy, and the understanding that the mind and body are connected, being able to change how you think about things in your subconscious, in your mind, mm. and expecting then a kind of physical response, whether mm. you have hypnotherapy to stop smoking or for phobias or something else. You change the way you think about it in your mind, and therefore, hopefully, you know, there's a physical response to that change and in that way I guess that's where hypnobirthing has come from we do understand that the mind and body are connected Mm. so if you can be in a place mentally where you feel calm and positive on a muscular level physically your muscles will be calm and relaxed and make Mm. for an easier birth and you'll produce oxytocin which is the hormone you need Mm. which makes total sense yes so that's where I think it's sort of evolved from and part of what I teach on the class is about getting into that head how do you get into that headspace a lot of people are absolutely petrified about birth how can I help those people get into a headspace where they feel calm and positive yeah and so a lot of that is just through being informed like knowledge is power you know people come frightened to the class and just even understanding how the body works makes them feel less frightened Mm. because they're like oh right my body's actually designed to do this Mm. this is how it's going to work Mm. that helps immediately to diminish fears but then also I really encourage people to kind of actively when they're pregnant try and build positive associations with birth in your mind you know people refer to it as positive reprogramming but I do think that sounds a bit (laughs) robotic like (laughs) Like, I want you all to brainwash yourselves now Um, no so I call it you know it's positive reinforcement if you go out and you know into the world and watch positive birth videos read positive birth stories listen to positive affirmations Mm. you will start to build in your brain the way the way our brains work positive connections so Mm. when someone talks about birth the thing that kind of flags up in your mind is something positive and that will make you feel calm relaxed and even excited for birth whereas if you don't and you go through your pregnancy watching one born every minute and absorbing everybody's horror stories obviously you're going to feel (laughs) petrified as a result you're going to go into birth feeling scared you're going to produce adrenaline from the word go and what that adrenaline does is causes the blood to go elsewhere in the body, carrying the oxygen away from the uterus, and it will slow everything down. It will make it more more uncomfortable, mm. and your baby's more likely to have you know distress, and that's obviously going to make you more scared. So that's we want to break that whole cycle, and mm. part of that is just proactively building positive associations in your mind. And you know it might seem a little bit fluffy, and you think, how are these positive affirmations going to help me? But actually, collectively you can change the way you, you think about something and therefore Absolutely. affect how you experience that physically. So that's, you know, one element of of it. Yeah. I, I can completely understand because I, I, before I was pregnant, birth would not... I wouldn't say scare me, but I was nervous yeah. of the fact of what you'd have to go through. Yeah. But I think that's because 
I very rarely heard positive yeah. things about birthing. It's it's in our it's in our culture. It's in our culture that birth is a negative, scary, yeah. traumatic experience, and it's not just people sharing stories. It's every single depiction of birth in the mm-hmm. media is a woman on her back, legs and stirrups, screaming. That's, Which surely is the worst position. It's the worst position, and who looks forward to that? Nobody no. will see those images and grow up thinking that seems like no. something I want to do. <laughs> yes, like, it's exactly. just not possible. I asked my my son, who's eleven now. I asked him when he was eight. You know how women gave birth, just to sort of gauge what an eight-year-old boy thought, mm. given that he's never watched a birth video. And he said, on their back, red in the face and screaming and sweating. Oh my that was what he knew of birth. It's what we see in movies, though, isn't it? Yeah, he's it's... seen it from movies. Obviously, I've never been consciously aware of him watching a movie with a birth shown, but obviously it just it seeps into everything. Yeah. And people grow up and then they you know get pregnant at 30 and they've had 30 years of conditioning that this is something horrific. Yeah. They're obviously scared. Yeah. And in other cultures, it's not like that. In other cultures, birth is such a huge celebration and, and becoming a mother is such a wonderful thing that young girls grow up thinking that's something really special that I, I look forward to experiencing. Mm. And it is, yeah, it's just we're culturally conditioned to think it's going to be horrible. And that's, so that's what we need to undo yeah. with that kind of positive reinforcement. We need to undo that 20, 30, 40 years of, of conditioning that we've experienced absolutely I mean I'm in a lucky position because of what I do and being a yoga teacher I am in touch with my body and have had you know like 10 years prior to where I am now figuring that out and now where I sit in my pregnancy I was actually having my hair cut the other day and um the my hairdresser was pregnant uh, or is she still is is pregnant um and I said to her you know what are your birthing preferences kind of how do you feel about giving birth because I'm just always intrigued yeah. to see how people are feeling she was like Give me all the drugs. I want absolutely everything I can have. I'm going into a hospital. I want to be looked after. I just, like, I'm terrified of it. Mm. You know, I don't want to be... In fact, I'm going to give her your number because I think she'd be perfect. Um, But, yeah, she was terrified. And it really made me think, oh, shit, yeah, actually, there are a lot of women out there who are. Because for me, I'm so excited to give birth. So excited. And I'm not particularly... We'll we'll discuss this in a minute, but... um, I, I'm having. I think I'm having to kind of stray away from what I would really, really love for my birth. But um, I, yeah, just think that it's such an. It's what we're here for. Like mm. not just to give yeah. birth, but we are built to give yeah. birth, aren't yeah. we? Our bodies should know what they're meant to do. We don't really question um, generally about pregnancy. We don't no. on a daily basis wake up and think. What do I need to do today? What does my body need to do? You know, we trust yeah. generally that the body will grow the baby. Yeah. But yet we lose the trust that the body will birth the baby. Yeah. You know, yeah, and actually absolutely. the body's growing your baby without you needing to do anything really. It's just getting on and doing that. Yeah. And it will get on and do that when it comes to birth as well, if it's given the opportunity. Yeah. Whilst I have this question in my head, I find that there's quite... Because I teach prenatal yoga as well. And in prenatal yoga, we very much... um, We're not quite at the breathing um, technique stages yet because we're actually all very close in our trimesters Um, and our stages of pregnancy. But we're focusing a lot on strengthening and keeping that strength for birth. So what would you say to mums out there kind of on a physical level, how they can prepare their body for birth? Because I know... um, that you know I had a mum on retreat and she was like back in my day I literally just ate loads and then just like totally relaxed and do like stop doing everything 
But I was like, but how? Because, you know, giving labour is like running two or three marathons, it could be, if you're in labour for that long. So how do you, how physically would you prep or give advice? Would you say, you know, do squats, keep walking, do workouts? Or would you say, do what feels right for you? I think you just do what you you would normally do. You know, I don't think the, and I'm not an expert on this actually, on, on kind of, that kind of physical preparation but yeah. I think the advice is not to sort of take up new things if you don't Absolutely. exercise don't suddenly be pregnant and think right I'm going to start you know weightlifting. yeah that's probably not <laughs> not advice so I would I, I think the advice is just to do what you you know you normally do yeah um is that what you did with your pregnancies just trying to think I I stopped running I was a runner so yeah. I stopped running the last time I ran a half marathon was in the early weeks of pregnancy when I didn't know I was pregnant yet and then I stopped running so I didn't carry on running I know some people do carry on running in their pregnancy and then just yeah I guess my exercise was the school run yes (laughs) oh my gosh yeah so I'm not sure um I did do I did do actually I did do pregnancy yoga as well and not with the third by the time I had a third I had too many children I had no time but yeah um I think that obviously it is it is working out your muscles are working out when you're in labor so i imagine that being physically fit probably does help but mm. i don't know enough about about that really no well let's take it to kind of mentally preparing yes that's Obviously, more more what yeah. i know about yeah so <laughs> more what i know about without kind of um you know giving away all of your tips yeah. like what would you say are the top things to kind of really prepare mentally for birth so first of all, like I talked about that positive reinforcement. Mm. So, you know, that's something that every pregnant woman can do. Protect yourself from negative stories. You know, don't watch things like one born every minute. It's hard sometimes to protect yourself yeah. from negative stories. Having to have the confidence seems like to that's say all that. people want to share. Yeah. Like a lot of the times I'm like, just tell me you're positive because I've heard yeah. two negatives already I'm ready yeah. today. It's having the confidence to say, I guess. I know it's awkward just saying, you know, would you mind telling me that after I've had my baby? Mm. But things like one born every minute, the worrying thing is that people watch them thinking they're real life. So, you know, you could be a pregnant woman thinking, I want to know what to expect, so I'm going to watch one born every minute. And the message I'm telling my brain is that this is what birth looks like, because mm. this isn't EastEnders, this is real life. Mm. And actually, it's not real life. Mm. It might be real people, but they've been selected because they're birth or story is perhaps a little bit more dramatic and then it's been edited edited to make it even more dramatic with cliffhangers you know at the advert breaks and soundtrack and everything to kind of build drama regular straightforward births don't make primetime telly because they're boring because it's just somebody breathing over a period of hours and then you know the the big finale the baby comes out but um they don't make primetime tv so people don't get to see them so actually watching one born every minute isn't giving you a real accurate representation of what birth is like it's Mm. probably just making you feel more scared Mm -hmm. so don't watch things like that and actually go onto youtube and search for positive birth videos water births home births which there are a lot of there are loads and what you get is a lot of the time just kind of raw footage you know it's not been edited professionally Mm. and it's the closest you're going to get to peeking through the curtains and seeing someone's birth you know Mm. in their home and that's hugely reassuring and you'll see what real birth looks like mm. and it's and it's reassuring it's it's not scary so things like that reading positive birth stories i mean on my website it, you know the positive birth company.co.uk and then just go forward slash blog there's just loads there oh. and and there's loads of other resources as well but go and read positive birth stories 
And they're not just all, when I say positive birth, I don't mean they're all water births at home. They're positive cesarean births, they're positive inductions, they're all, all types of birth yeah. where people have had positive experiences and listen to positive affirmations. You can get free positive affirmations MP3 on my website as well. If oh, you amazing. just scroll to the bottom of the home page, there's a subscribe box and you can get yourself a free positive affirmations MP3. So that's all part of the positive reinforcement. That's something that if you're listening and you're pregnant, you can start doing today. Yeah. Building those positive connections. So that's the first thing I'd say. Second thing is to consider your environment for birth. I think that has the biggest impact and can often be underestimated. The environment and the space that you're in, how that affects your body, being able to relax and open. And there's a great analogy with going to the toilet for a poo. You know, you would not be able to go for a poo surrounded by people looking at you. No. Your body wouldn't be able to open and, and, and you know, pass a... But a, a poo, yeah. essentially, if you've got if you're being observed, yeah. you know you want to be somewhere private. And it's exactly the same with birth. I mean, I could talk about this all day. Mm-hmm. You want to be in a place where you're able to relax, and that's probably unobserved, or at least not with multiple strangers. A dimly lit space, you know, where you feel calm and safe. Yeah. So, the environment um, it really matters. So, first of all, choosing where you're going to give birth. You know, make sure that you're informed. There's a website called Which Birth Choice and you can look at all your local birth centres and hospitals, all the statistics. You don't need to go to the one that you've been referred to, which is your nearest usually. You can shop around and choose one that's right for you. You have the right to change birth, birthplace, uh, change your birthplace choice. So when you normally book in with your GP, you'll just sort of be referred to the nearest hospital. But you might find that there's a birth centre 20 minutes you know, further, but actually it's a beautiful birth centre, so that might be the right place for you. Mm. So choose where you're going to go and put some kind of thought and research into it. And then secondly, you know, it might be a home, you might choose home. Secondly, think about how you're going to make that environment work for you. And a really easy way of doing that that I teach is using your senses as a checklist. So sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. That's how we read our environment, how we absorb information about the space that we're in. So make sure you meet each one of those with things that bring comfort and relaxation. So Mm. what do you want to see? What do you want to hear? It might be that you want to bring little tea lights into the room, you know, like little battery-operated ones, fairy lights. You might want to have your music playing. You might have a nice playlist or just spa music. What do you want to smell? I, I encourage people to get room sprays or things like that. Wearing your comfortable clothes. It might be slippers. It might be a dressing gown. And then having nice little snacks and drinks so you stay hydrated and keep your energy levels up. Yeah. So just use, use your senses, your five senses as a checklist and pack things in your birth bag so that wherever you're giving birth, you're able to create that environment. So even if you find yourself you know, in a kind of brightly lit room on labour ward, you can immediately transform that space in literally minutes. You can turn the lights off put your tea lights out, spritz your room spray yeah. and put your music on. Such simple things, but S- such a difference. Suddenly you're in a candlelit spa. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> you've just transformed that space and you're going to feel more relaxed. So that's my second point. And my last one is get a breathing technique. Yeah. That's the biggest game changer. You know, you might not do the course. You might not you know, be interested in exploring hypnobirthing, hypnobirthing any further. But getting yourself a breathing technique will change your birth for the better. Uh, really simple um i've got free youtube videos on my youtube channel which again is just look for positive birth company up um yeah just watch those videos there's an up breathing and a down breathing and, and learn a breathing technique use it through each surge or contraction 
and it will make it a hundred times more manageable. Mm. So I guess they're my top tips. Top tips. <laughs> <laughs> the environment, a breathing technique, and um, yeah, that positive positive reinforcement that you can start from mm. today. I am um, I'm a low risk pregnancy yeah. at the moment, which is great. Um, and I originally really, really wanted a home birth because we've got such a beautiful space now, and it just seems I, I would love to give birth yeah. here. Um, we're sitting in my downstairs by the way just so you know <laughs> I can confirm it's amazing um, <laughs> I walked in I was like your house is amazing it's so nice it's so Thank nice you. here yeah, but it's really nice I thought it'd be really easy to be able to get a water pool here yeah. and it's pretty perfect open plan it's pretty great <laughs> lot, isn't lot it of space looking out on the garden and when yeah. I kind of first originally you know was just thinking about what I would like it seems so much more natural to me to be here to be able to you know Maybe watch some Netflix, have something on in the background in the early stages, be able to get a cup of tea, make something to eat, and just be able to relax. Yeah. Um, but we actually have a local... So we fall under the Honiton oh, yeah, the birth centre. Center, yeah. But that's actually closed. Yes. And they're not sure if they're going to reopen by the time September comes around. Yep. So my other option is Exeter. Ardenal. Yeah. yeah. And... I've had a really negative association with hospitals. I've only ever, yeah. I've touched wood, luckily never been there for me. Yeah. But I've only ever been there to really sadly watch people die. So it's never, I've never been able to imagine something yeah. positive coming out of hospitals. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but that's obviously quite a distance from here if there was a yes. problem. Yeah. So I'm trying to weigh up whether. I mean, they have Huntington. got a birth centre at the hospital. Have so RDE have an attached birth centre. Oh, so even though that. it's on the grounds <laughs> of the hospital, yeah. it is you know its own sort of unit. Is it nicer than being not, in the hospital? Obviously not as nice as Honiton because Honiton yeah. is its own little freestanding unit. But it's definitely completely different to being in the hospital really? because it's got birth pools and it's really set up for natural birth. So yeah. that Which birth centres like. are a really happy medium you know, especially attached ones that give you the sort of security of, you know, sense of security of being on the grounds of the hospital should you need assistance, mm. but equally midwife-led and set up for natural birth. Okay. So maybe that's a good... Because I, I, I'm trying to weigh up between how anxious would I be here yeah. if I knew we were quite some distance. Yeah. Um, would you... I mean, I, I what what do you think the transfer time is? Because that they say it's probably around twenty five minutes once the ambulance is here, even with blue lights. Yeah, the, I guess that's probably worst case. They were saying okay. worst case scenario, traffic, yeah. like whatever. It's twenty five minutes. Yeah. Best case, it probably could be like fifteen. Yeah. Um, but you've got to wait for the ambulance. No, no, so not normally, know. not normally, really? because if you're at home, they've got a very a sort of lower threshold for, you know, being concerned about anything. You know, if they're in a hospital, you know, they would think, I guess they would, they'd feel reassured that you're in the hospital. Whereas if you're at home, they have to be extra cautious in a way because, right. you know, they don't want anything unfolding at home yeah. where they've got, you know, a situation. So um, if the midwife suspects there's even the slightest chance that you might have to be transferring in, that, you know, there's anything that's indicating that, there could potentially be a problem they'll have already called the ambulance before you're even aware you know they would rather stand down an ambulance than be in a situation where they need one and they haven't got one yeah so they will have that ambulance waiting outside anyway and so by the time that you even realize probably that there is a problem they'll be it will be there okay you know midwives home birth midwives are very very experienced and they obviously want the best outcomes and they're not going to take any 
any chances. Yeah. And, you know, like, like our midwives have told me, things don't generally unfold into a drama very quickly. We get that sense from TV, but yeah. actually in reality, you get warning. You know, there are signs, indications that baby might be struggling, you know, long in advance of of a really, you know, scary situation. So, you, yeah. so midwives are able to react. They, they are the experts of normal birth. They can facilitate normal birth. They can recognise normal birth. And equally, they can recognise when things aren't going as they should be. And they will recognise that early on and and take the appropriate steps. So home is a very safe place you know if it, we have this obviously this sense that hospital is this kind of the safe place to be yeah. and people say oh you're brave having a home birth but for low risk women and, and and especially second time or subsequent birth a mother's sorry uh we have enough evidence to be able to say that home is the safest place to give birth for mum yeah. and baby and and l- the lowest interventions and that's ba- based on the birthplace study which is 64,000 women's wow. births were evaluated. And that's very, you know, quite recent. And it was all low-risk women. So obviously if you had higher-risk pregnancies, then obviously you'd expect intervention to be higher. Yeah. But this was purely low-risk women having uncomplicated pregnancies. And it, it evaluated the outcomes for mum and baby in labour wards, home and birth centres, split into freestanding ones like the one at Honiton and attached like the one at Exeter. Mm. And the and, and it was amazing. The findings were amazing. You know, for example, you've got around eleven percent chance of ending up with an unplanned cesarean if you begin your labour in a labour ward, versus a two percent chance if you're at home. Really? You know, that's a significant wow. increase yeah. in the rate of intervention yeah. just by starting your birth in a labour ward. And birth centres, I think, were around four percent. Just off the top of my head, I don't yeah. quote you. It's like I'm just trying to remember. But um, for second time low-risk women or subsequent home came out the safest place with the best outcomes for mum baby with the fewest interventions yeah so that's completely at odds with the ingrained you know kind of conditioning that we've got that says that hospital's a safe place and and home is kind of risky but actually home is statistically safest if you are a second time or subsequent low-risk mother wow so that really kind of turns it on its head and the, the home birth rate in the uk is only around two percent yeah but in Devon, it's actually... Devon used to be the county with the highest number of home births, highest percentage, and apparently now it's second to Dorset. Oh, really? But they're about 12%. Oh, wow. So it's just, you know... It's quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, really high in Devon, so they're very pro-home birth. But yeah. it's, a, it's a safe place to give birth if you, if you don't have any, you know, complications. You know, if, you, if you're a low-risk... I don't even... I want to use inverted commas, you know, around yes. low-risk, because I don't like using this word, low-risk, high-risk, but if you're a woman who's having an uncomplicated pregnancy. Mm. So when I had my booking appointment, that was at the birth yeah. centre in Honiton, yes. and they were very... They assumed it would be home, yeah. and they all with them if it opened yes. in September, yeah. which I found quite reassuring, actually, because I was yeah. like, oh, okay, so this actually isn't a big deal, yeah. having it at home. So yeah. I think my next midwifery appointment... I, um, mid-May yeah. she wants to start discussing this kind yes. of thing so it'll be nice to get something a little bit or a little bit yeah. more information on yeah. everything and just get kind of firmed up on where but it's a real shame about birth centres closing it it's a I real shame it. because it's such a shame there's not more support because they're amazing they're absolutely amazing it's like walking into a spa with yeah. getting it feels like it's private health care it doesn't feel like it's NHS they're absolutely incredible and lots of people either don't know about them or have that mindset you you said earlier about I just I want all the drugs you yeah. know take me to hospital I want all the drugs and people 
have that mindset and therefore aren't using these birth centres, which mm. are incredible. They're, they're, you know, they're absolutely incredible. You get the best care. Mm. But that, that, that kind of um, mindset of just, just give me all the drugs and take me to hospital, usually when you actually talk to people like that, is they're, not, they're not really informed about no. what the consequences are of that. No. You know, sure, you, you absolutely have the choice to go to hospital and have all the drugs, but by having an epidural, you're usually then on your back. So that, that will statistically yeah. make your labour longer increases your risk of needing intervention and assisted delivery, increases your risk of needing a caesarean and increases your risk of experiencing tearing if you do birth vaginally. Really? So wow. when you kind of lay it out like that, you're like, do I really, is that going to be my first choice? Is that my first yeah. choice is to go to hospital and have an epidural and give me all the drugs? You know, and you think if you just, if people were a bit more informed, they might actually think, you know what, I do feel a bit scared about birth, but I can try and you know do things to elite to to reduce that fear mm. but also the things that i'm frightened about for example i'm frightened about tearing what can i do to reduce that risk and to reduce that risk would be things like water birth mm. slow birth using your breath rather than coached pushing um, being in a good upright position and therefore that's obviously not being on your back in a hospital absolutely so a lot of people it's just a lack of being informed not through their own you know own fault at all but just people aren't informed about birth yeah and and midwives don't have time to explain it all and no. talk women through all of their options and explain all the reasons why the nhs is so stretched you get like five minutes with a different midwife each time that'll be true for a lot of women yeah there is no opportunity to to talk to these women and explain what the pros and cons are of all of all the choices and, and options available is this kind of stuff covered in your pack yes oh, yeah. fantastic yeah. Amazing. So people can really just take the time out to just watch bits when they yeah. want to and can't yeah. kind of start to lay yeah. out a rough... I don't like using the word birth plan. I, when I spoke to Zoe yeah. at Motherkind in one of my podcasts, she was like, birth preferences. Yeah, I, I call like, birth I love preferences. That. That's yeah. so good because you're not then fixed on a plan. No. And um, in my birth preferences, I outline my preferences for multiple scenarios. So okay. I've had three, you know, um, vaginal births, but I... <laughs> always outline my preferences for cesarean on my preferences because mm. I'm never planning one but if things unfold in a way that it becomes apparent that that would be the best birth for me I want to have my preferences outlined mm. so the things that matter to me like delayed cord clamping skin to skin you know the right environment they yeah. still happen I still get to give birth in a calm way feeling confident and relaxed yeah. even if it is by cesarean so mm. Yeah, preferences is good. I'm glad you just brought that up about delayed cord clamping. So I read a really interesting article that there's evidence to show now that if you can leave the placenta attached to the baby, there's huge benefit of doing that for a while. Yes. Is yeah. that right? So delayed cord clamping should come as standard. It's right. recommended in the NICE guidelines. That's the National Institute of Clinical Excellence. They do produce evidence-based guidelines up to date evidence-based guidelines which the NHS trust should adhere to and follow so they should update their practice to reflect you know new new guidelines and yeah delayed core clamping is recommended as best practice with natural births where there aren't any complications you know for the mum mm. and baby because it offers huge benefit to baby when the baby's born only about two-thirds of its blood are in its body and a third yeah. is still in the placenta because whilst it's been growing the blood's been moving between the baby and the placenta you know getting oxygen dumping carbon dioxide picking up nutrients in a constant kind of exchange once the baby comes out if you cut the cord immediately it's been shortchanged a mm. third of its blood yeah and there have been studies where they've taken blood tests uh on four-year-olds and they can still tell the difference 
no. who had delayed core clamping and who didn't. Wow. Yeah, because the volume of the blood makes up, is made up yeah. over time, but not the quality of the blood. So the delay of the core clamping yeah. is, do you deliver the placenta and then kind of both are external to the body? No, usually you birth the baby and yeah. then delayed core clamping counts as anything from three minutes. Oh, so wow. you even just three minutes. And obviously in those three minutes, you are just looking at your baby like, I just did this, you know? Yeah. It's not like you're looking at the clock and being no. like, oh, this is taking a long time. <laughs> you know, the first three minutes of birth just, you know, go in like a blink of the eye and so you get those three minutes if you want fully delayed core clamping that could take you know 10 minutes but we're not talking very long we're we're talking minutes and then the placenta is very clever it will pump that blood back to the baby the cord will then be full of blood and then it will go limp and white and be obviously empty and then you would have the cord cut so at that point your baby would be separate and the placenta is still inside you and after that then you would birth the placenta so um, that's that's the kind of usual way some people do choose to keep the baby and placenta attached and it's called a lotus birth and they'll birth the placenta and then externally you'll have your placenta and your baby and they'll be attached images of yeah and people will take the placenta home or or they might be at home already but they will keep the baby attached until the two you know till the cord kind of separates on, on its own accord that could take oh, wow. days and they kind of have to preserve the placenta and oh that's less common <laughs> but um you know that's an option you you there are always options but yeah. just your regular delayed core clamping in a hospital situation on birth center would generally be three minutes or or a bit longer and then cut the cord and then you would have your baby and then you know afterwards your body would start to push again and you'd birth your placenta which can be quite quickly afterwards or it could be you know kind of up to 45 minutes later an oh, hour wow. later so and they wait for that to naturally happen you don't that's one of your options push. is to is to wait for it to naturally happen your other option would be to have active management which is where they would give you an injection called syntometrine and that injection is into your thigh and that would cause the uterus to contract and expel the placenta quicker Oh, wow. so that can make it come out so you so that you don't have that weight if that's what you wanted right so I guess sometimes lots the of options. A good thing and sometimes the weight's not a good thing. You just want to get it yeah. all done. And I think like if you've had a natural birth and you're just cuddling your baby, it waiting very long. doesn't seem very long. Waiting and then your body starts to push and, and it's fine. But for a lot of women, you know, they won't be in that situation. So they might be in theatre. They might have had an instrumental delivery, and actually waiting forty five minutes is not what they want to be doing. They want no. to be sat up, you know, back in recovery, cuddling their baby and having a cup of tea. Yeah. So for for you know, that then is a great option to speed up the delivery of the placenta. Yeah. And it's also used for other things like blood, getting blood loss under control, um, retained placenta. So there are benefits to active management. But if you've had a straightforward natural birth without intervention, you're probably on track to have a natural third stage as well. Mm. So what are the benefits? Um, I saw on your sign-off yeah. that you're a Placenta. Oh, placenta encapsulation. That's yeah, it. I've had to put that on the back burner for now, actually. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just, I am at full capacity. I are you happy world. to talk about it? Oh yeah, full, happy to talk about it. What are the benefits of it? Because everyone keeps saying to me, "Oh, you're going to get your placenta made into pills," and I'm like, I have no idea why that would be a benefit. Yeah. So tell tell us. So with with regards to placenta, lots of mammals eat their placenta after birth. That you know that's quite normal in the animal kingdom. Obviously, we think that that's quite grim <laughs> to eat your placenta but there's the benefits or the presumed benefits are that the placenta is full of nutrients ions vitamins that have been taken from your body during the course of pregnancy and obviously some have been passed to the baby but a lot has been stored in the placenta 
by consuming your placenta, it's a bit like a bespoke vitamin tablet right. because you're replenishing your own body with what it lost in pregnancy. Yeah. So it's kind of custom, custom-made multivitamins yeah. <laughs> for yourself. Uh, it's got you know iron, hormones, um, minerals, vitamins, growth factors, stem cells. It's you know it's there's a lot of goodness in the placenta. So one of the ways that makes it a little bit easier to consume is to have it encapsulated which means that somebody you'd book a a placenta specialist to come and collect your placenta after birth they would then prepare it and what they would give back to you is a jar full of capsules just like your like like an antibiotic you know like a capsule that you just swallow therefore it doesn't feel like a placenta or taste like a placenta or you know remind you of that so so that can be quite you know an easy way to consume your placenta usually a specialist will turn that around very quickly so you get those back by day three oh, wow. which is when you kind of get that that dip that people talk about and then you take those you can take two up to two three times a day and then you can sort of taper off so that it lasts you know you know more weeks and yeah you, you take that and, and the benefits are meant to be that it um, stabilizes mood so stops you having that you know that dip and, and can reduce the risk of postnatal depression um, that it reduces blood loss after birth. You know, it's normal to obviously have blood loss for up to six weeks after birth. Yes. It will reduce that. It will this is all make you f- no okay presumed benefits. Okay. <laughs> so and it's meant to make you feel better, more energy, better healing, and also um, increases breast milk. Those are the presumed really? benefits. But we don't have any large scale studies to prove or disprove the efficacy of placenta encapsulation. Yeah. So. What exists at present is studies that show that this is the content of the placenta and it's been tested through the encapsulation process to show what remains. So we know that there is goodness in the placenta, but there isn't evidence to say yet to prove that consuming that goodness is going to lead to good benefits. All we can do is presume, and from women's testimony, that people reporting that is what they experienced, Mm. that that's what we have to go on. So I had my placenta encapsulated with my third and I felt really good, like really good energy levels. I felt really didn't have any dip at all. No, no day three blues or whatever, you know, just felt really stable, felt really energetic and felt really well. But it's not, it's not surprising. It sort of made logical sense because, you know, stem cells alone, they are good for cellular repair. You know, they, by consuming that, I can only assume that that is going to help with the whole healing process after birth Mm. but yeah there isn't any evidence at the moment is it very expensive around 150 to 200 pounds but it will vary from specialist to specialist and how um like how long do you take them for is it kind of so depending on the size of your placenta obviously dictates how many capsules you get back Mm. but um normally you should have enough capsules to last you that sort of six week period after birth so quite a long time yeah that's amazing. They're definitely. I think it'll have to be something that I mentioned to my husband like a hundred times before he then starts to think it's normal. Yeah. There's, there's also smoothies. There's also placenta uh, smoothies, oh which obviously it takes a little bit of a stronger stomach. But I can um, do that. People can do that at home. You know, if you had a home birth, you can literally whip yourself up a smoothie <laughs> oh yourself God. without having to book a specialist. Oh obviously, you'd have to, you know, look up a recipe and follow. <laughs> 
well could in the directions. I haven't done that, but I do think that I would give it a go now. Really? But I've become a little bit desensitised to placentas because obviously I deal with placentas quite a bit. So I now don't have that gore factor. I actually think placentas are quite amazing. So I am that crazy placenta lady now. So yeah, I, I, I think I would, I would try it now. Yeah, I but. think they're amazing, but I just don't think I could put like flesh in a blender. But you put it in with loads of berries and juice and then you whiz it up and apparently you don't even taste it. You yeah. don't even taste They're it. They're quite so big, aren't they? You just cut off a thumb size amount. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah, not the whole thing. <laughs> there I was like, like putting this Massive, stodgy, <laughs> <laughs> like, what do they call them? Hard, not hard shakes, that's got alcohol in. But what are those milkshakes you get in America that are like really solid that you can't actually yes. suck it through a straw? You need to like yeah. scoop oh. it out. Oh. It would be like that. Right. There's like dense percent of smoothie. Oh my God. Oh, that would be funny. But I think um, you quite brave with... Like, just a small amount, just yeah. a thumb size amount, with with a load of berries and juice. And you probably can't taste it, can you? And you can't taste it apparently. No. And there are recipes readily available on the internet, and you can freeze them as well. So amazing! But I think if I was going to do it, I would have to get mine <laughs> cap- in capsules. I think there's always options. Mainly just for ease, and also not having to have it kind of in my fridge or yeah. my freezer just chilling out it might have to be there though or if you do have a home birth it does need to be kept chilled that's the important thing is that it does need to be kept chilled after birth so if you're having a home birth you probably would end up putting your placenta in a box in your fridge until it's collected temporarily yeah if it was kind of there for like six weeks every time i opened the door i think i'd struggle yeah well there you go everyone. I love I've just like I've got this image in my idea I, like I love the idea that you've blended up the whole smoothie and like so Siobhan I've, I've blended up the entire placenta into this smoothie and it's <laughs> you said I wouldn't be able to taste it but that's exactly what I was thinking that's so bad <laughs> see my naivety about all oh, no, things I need to be, I need to be like, more clear because how many people could listen to this and then go and do that and blend the entire their entire placenta which is about the size of you know your two hands your palms your hands you know laid together like it, it's a big old thing just thinking of people blending that with a couple of blueberries on top <laughs> definitely be able to taste that <laughs> would be able to taste that oh my goodness so do you mind um sharing with us a little bit about your birth yeah of um, course as you've had three yeah. i'm assuming they differed all different a bit. yeah so it'd be, just be really interesting to kind of know how they differed, where you had them, like yeah. if you're happy to share. Oh yeah, one of my favourite topics. Um, <laughs> so first baby I was induced, so I was eight days um, past my due date, wow. which is, is really nothing now because you're, you're not even late, I don't think, now until you're past 42 weeks because actually that's your due period. But yeah, funnily, I'm just really sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but funnily enough, Hendrik and I, because Hendrik's paternity leave yes. is quite tricky. Yeah. So we're trying to figure out when to book his paternity mm. leave. And he was Googling, like, when oh, yeah. first time pregnancy, like, yeah. the stats on who's 40 early, plus who's 10. Late. The average first time mum gives birth at 40 plus 10. Really? Yeah. So that's, that's 40 weeks 42 and 10 weeks. days. Yes. Wow. Because some of I've known some mums who have been two weeks early and it's been yeah. their first. Yeah. But is that that's quite rare? Yeah. Eighty five percent of babies, I believe, are born after forty weeks in wow. the UK. Yes. France has a is it's uh, the due date in France is forty one weeks. Okay. Kenya's forty two weeks. The Why World Health Organization think? says thirty seven to forty two weeks. Right. It's it's is a due period, and the more that women look at it as a period of time in which you're due, the better, because otherwise you just create a deadline for yourself in your mind and then you get very stressed out about this this perceived deadline and especially if you go past the deadline yeah which I think I'm doing because at the moment I'm thinking 
yeah, I'm going to work up right until the end of August. Yeah. And then I'm like, I'm due on the 7th of September, so maybe that's a bad idea. Yeah. Because, yes, I'm due then, but really I'm due in a period of time yeah. from probably mid-August to mid-September, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, but he was kind of being like, well, no, the baby can't be late because then it's going to go oh. into my leave. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't I think you can book this. The pater- yeah, it's really hard. I don't think you can book the paternity leave because if he books the paternity leave from 38 weeks to 40 weeks back at work and you still haven't had the baby. Yeah. But he's got this fear, um, just whilst we're briefly on yeah. this topic, he's got this fear of when you go over 42 yeah. weeks. Over 42 weeks. So, um, over, sorry, after 43 weeks, there is a slight increase in the risk of stillbirth. Right. So that risk does exist after 43 weeks, but before 42 weeks, there is no increased risk in of stillbirth in that time. Okay. Yeah. And it's so... So it's after 43 weeks. So from 42 weeks, you might want to look into, you know, consider induction or things like that. I'm not, yeah. I'm not obviously saying you have to. Some women choose additional yeah. monitoring. But after 42 weeks, yes, consider that. But prior to 42 weeks, if all is well with you and your baby uh, and there's no medical concern, then there's no need to be having an induction because mm. induction brings its own set of risks. Yeah. And so there's no need to take on risks, you know, associated with induction for no you know, when yeah. there's no existing risks to continue the pregnancy. Absolutely. So prior to 42 weeks, you are perfectly within your due period. Okay. However, I did not know this. <laughs> so Carry on there I us. was, pregnant at 21, and um, was offered an induction. And I say offered, but actually what it felt like was, you're going to be induced now, we're going to induce you now, you know, right. that kind of thing. And so I just went along with it. Was Had there a reason? Eight days past the due date. And that, at that time, and that was it, yeah. Enough. That's it. And I happened to be in for my kind of weekly appointment. And I guess they had, I guess the hospital was quiet that day and they thought, well, we'll do it this day. I, I, Were you ready I for don't that? Know. No, I wasn't. My hospital bag was at home. Oh my God. And I remember saying, can I go and get it? And they said, well, yes, but be quick and then come straight back. So I was like, okay. And then I rang my friends and family and said, I'm having my baby today. Because for me, I thought that induction meant you just got your baby sooner. So I didn't feel nervous about induction. I thought, great, like I'm really wanting to meet my baby. And now they're going to get my baby out today. This seems excellent. Oh, the naivety. (laughs) So I went into the hospital. It was Wednesday. And then um, they started the induction and it went on till Friday. So, (gasps) you know, nearly two days. Oh, my goodness. And then I had all the interventions, um, the pessary, the drip. An epidural, um, tried gas and air but didn't like it, then had the epidural. But I mean, I'd, I'd gone from Wednesday till about 10pm on Thursday night with nothing and then had the epidural. Um, I was exhausted. I'd been told not to eat or drink because it would likely end in a caesarean anyway, which <laughs> now in retrospect is mad because obviously you wouldn't try and work out for two days without eating, drinking or sleeping. You yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't be able to function. Yeah. Um Baby's heart heart rate started dipping. He was tiring. He was in distress. They tried to turn up the drip to make my body dilate, but also then kept turning it down because it was causing him distress. So that kind of fine balance. They took blood from his head whilst he was still in the womb to check the blood, to check the oxygen, see that he was okay. And then finally they made the decision that um, this baby needs to be born, so cesarean section. So I signed a disclaimer you know, like a not a disclaimer, yeah, like a yeah. form to say yes, my agreement. And I was given something to 
to take to make my, I guess, I think it was something to do with acid in the stomach or something like that. I was prepped anyway for a cesarean, taken down to theatre. They topped up the epidural, so I was numb from my neck down. Oh, I think it was a bit, a bit too much, a bit too much. <laughs> and um, then just before they, they did the cesarean, the obstetrician said, we're going to just examine you. And she said I was fully dilated. So what she wanted to do was use forceps to turn the baby and then give me the opportunity to push. So that's what happened. He was born in theatre with, with forceps. So I didn't, I, I avoided the, like, narrowly avoided the cesarean, but um, only just. And then that was it. He was born and he was out. And I was absolutely <laughs> depleted and out I of it. Bet. I was just... And numb from the neck down. And um, I, had, oh I had been panicked, obviously, in the, going to theatre. And, yeah, I was just yeah, quite scared, really. And then quite exhausted, you know, unable to really keep my eyes open, just completely out of it. And and so after that experience, I, I never thought that was a traumatic birth because I, like we've talked about conditioning, I thought birth was going to be a scary, horrible thing. And it, when it was quite a scary, horrible thing, I thought, well, that's just confirmed, you know, my belief about birth. Yeah. So that's how I carried on for several years. And I definitely was guilty. That person that I've talked about, that friend that shares the horror stories, that was me. Um, and so, yeah, to all my peers who weren't having babies and have only just started having them now. Um, so that was that was my experience. I was very, very anxious, uh, new mum. You know, when I look back, I think that was because of the birth. The birth, I obviously experienced such kind of fear, I suppose, yeah. in that process that then that extended into my postnatal period and I was so anxious, checking him all the time to make sure he was still breathing. You know, I don't know how it became the norm, but now I look back and think that's not normal behaviour. You know, often yeah. with hindsight, you yeah. can look back and you think that that wasn't normal. Yeah. So anyway, seven years later, I was pregnant again, this time in a better place in terms of I knew a bit more. I'd seen more things about positive birth. I'd read about hypnobirthing and I thought there's a different way. It doesn't have to be like that. So I went to a hypnobirthing course and it changed everything for me. It changed everything. Not only did I feel more excited about this upcoming birth, but I could completely put to rest everything that had happened to me first time round. And I, it's amazing that you were able to do that. And I know that's true for a lot of women I teach, that just having that knowledge, and you're able to kind of use that knowledge and look back and think, okay, I understand why things panned out the way they did. Yeah. You know, and actually, it, it, some women feel like, oh, my body failed me. You know, that's very common, my body failed me. And you look back and you think, well, no, it didn't. It just was never given the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in the right environment. I didn't have any tools in my toolkit. I had no way of coping with this. I was panicking. This is why this happened. Yeah. And so that knowledge helps you to kind of understand what happened to you previously. And that, that was anyway the case for me. So I had no fear that that was going to happen to me again. Literally, of all, the, of all the potential fears that I had, that was not one of them. Because I thought, that's not going to happen again because I'm going to do things so differently. It's not possible that that would replicate. So I felt a lot more confident. I did my positive reinforcement, started feeling really excited, planned a home birth. So very different um I just was really excited it was Christmas time I went into labor naturally I gave birth at home on the sofa um it was very quick it was two hours 20 minutes I didn't have any intervention I didn't have any pain relief it was just fast and um there was a the Christmas tree was in the room and it was like the little fairy lights were on and the birth pool was in the room but I didn't get into it really because the labour was so quick that I hadn't had the opportunity to get into it, but that was fine. And I gave birth on the sofa and it was 
the best day of my life. Mm. I felt absolutely euphoric. I felt so present because obviously I'd been eating and drinking normally. You know, I had, I wasn't overly tired. Yeah. I felt like you're just crossing the line of a of a marathon or something. You know, just the absolute joy and elation. And I hadn't been mediated by any drugs either, so I felt so present. Like I really could, you know, I was there in the moment. I felt like a superwoman. I was on such a high, and that then just went on for weeks. I just felt invincible. Like for weeks, just felt so full of love for, for myself, for my baby. You know, for my, when I say myself, like for my body, so much I kind of I was in awe of my own of my own body that it had done this. You know, whereas maybe before I felt like I had not. Mm. I had, my body had failed me somehow whereas this time I just thought it's incredible <clears throat> it was just amazing it was absolutely amazing and at the same time that that was happening I'd actually left my job in digital marketing to go and uh, do a master's in psychology because I wanted to work with people really interested in psychology and mental health and I absolutely believe there's a strong correlation between that positive experience and your mental well-being in mm. the postnatal period a really profound I think so I just was, you know, it felt like things just fell into place and I had had this incredible experience. I understand hypnobirthing to be a lot about psychology, the psychology of birth. I had completed my master's. I wanted to work with people and I was like, this is, this is what I'm going to do. And that was in 2014 and, it's, and I've just been passionate about it wow. ever since and absolutely committed to helping women have positive experiences because... I think it matters. Having a baby, whether it's your first or your fourth, is such a life-changing moment that making that a positive and empowering experience has lifelong benefits. Yeah. It's lifelong. Anytime, if I t reflect back on my experience, I'm able to tap into those feelings and feel that strength. Yeah. And that is something that's never, I hope, going to leave me. And I think that's just huge. It's, it's huge and you can't ever take that away from somebody. You know, so... Having a positive experience, you know, however that experience looks, is so important. Um, and then that was that was second baby, third baby. I went to the birth centre, got my water birth finally that I wanted. Amazing. And was yeah. there a reason why you chose to not have another one at home and go to a birth? A few centre? reasons. So one of the reasons was that after I had my home birth, I'd had a bleed. Right. And because I'd had a bleed, I'd had to go into the hospital to get the bleed under control. And that didn't diminish my experience and it didn't feel at any point that it was like life-threatening or dangerous, but it was, I guess it was more of an inconvenience. I wanted to stay at home and I ended yeah. up going in and that was slightly annoying. But because of that, it put me in a high-risk category. Right. So as soon as you've had something like that, I mean, there's lots of rules around low-risk and high-risk and that's why I put in inverted commas. Yes. Some people have legitimate medical, you know, issues yes but for other people for example if you're over 40 or if you're over a certain bmi or if you've had you know a bleed before that was only just over the the limit you know the line lots of things can put you in the highest category when actually if you probably evaluate it as an individual you're yeah. not yeah. you're not a high risk person so I, f I felt that was the situation with me i didn't feel i was a high risk person but because on my notes it had said that I'd had this bleed there I was so I had um a consultant appointment because if you're high risk they they send you to the consultant who said we want you on labor ward we want you attached to all the drips we want you on the monitors we want to have theater ready da, da, da. and knowing everything that I know about birth I was like well those are all the risk factors for me having a bleed those are literally all of the risk factors intervention everything that's going to increase the likelihood of that happening again and actually, I want to take all steps I can to reduce that risk. Interesting. So 
I wanted to have another home birth and you are always allowed to have a home birth. My midwife was happy to support me in that choice. Obviously, she explained that these are the guidelines and the recommendation is labour ward. But she was happy to support me in, in my wishes to have a home birth because you are always allowed a home birth. And so um, so those were kind of like the, the two camps. But then the birth centre seemed like a really happy compromise because the birth centre, and this was in London, was attached to the main hospital, but was set up for natural birth. But unfortunately, birth centres, they say, are for low-risk women. So if you fall outside the guidelines, it's like, no, sorry. So I thought that wasn't going to be an option for me. So I was like, well, it's either home then or hospital. Which seems silly, doesn't yeah. it, really? Yeah. Because surely the consultant yeah. would rather you be there. So that's closer. what, that is the truth. So right. once I made it clear that I was having my home birth, suddenly they were a little bit more eager to get me into the birth centre. Yeah, well played. So <laughs> it's, when, you, when you get a no, it's not a hard no. That's mm. the thing to know. There's, it's not a hard no. So um, midwives, supervisors and midwives have the uh, power to make what's called an out-of-guidelines care plan. Right. which means that you fall outside of the guidelines, but they're going to accommodate you in the birth centre. So if, for example, you're over 40 and your local birth centre says, sorry, our guidelines are that you're over 40, then you can turn around and say, I'd like to speak to supervisor of midwives and then request an out-of-guidelines care plan. Right. And essentially it means that you understand what the guidelines are and, you are agree- that you- and you're still wanting to go ahead with the birth centre birth, you know, and you're kind of accepting, you, under- you fully understand you know I guess the whole picture Mm. so I got an out of guidelines care plan to accommodate me in the birth center so it meant that now this birth center was an option so still in my head I was like home or a birth center and I really didn't know I was really wanted to have another home birth because I'd had such a positive experience but equally I could see there being pros to the birth center because it was on the grounds of the hospital should I need assistance afterwards Mm. the birth pool was going to be already set up and I really wanted a water birth so even on the day, the decision wasn't made. I had a plan for both. Really? And on the day, it came down to my midwife, Natalie, who's amazing. She was my midwife for my second birth, all my antenatal and postnatal appointments, because I was part of that home birth team. She'd done all my antenatal appointments with this baby. Oh, and I just wanted her to be there. Like, if she had been somewhere else, I would have travelled to go there. I was yeah. like, I just want Natalie. And so... I wouldn't, she wouldn't know either on that given day that I went into labour whether she would be on call for home birth or in the birth centre. And so on the day when I called, she was in the birth centre and it was, yeah, it was literally, that was, the decision was made therefore on the day that that's where I was going and had a birth pool for home as well. So I was prepped for both. And so I went to the birth centre and um, she was there and another midwife called Claire and the pool was already filled so it was incredible and I just got to go into the pool and it was amazing. I gave birth in the pool um, which was also incredible and it was so peaceful. It was just so peaceful and so calm. I I describe it sometimes as almost uneventful. Like I went to the birth centre, I got into a pool, I gave birth, I got out and shortly after I went home and Lovely. there was just n- no drama at no all bleed, no, no bleed so the the blood loss that i'd lost they estimated was about 120 mils and normal blood loss is between 500 and a liter oh. so i lost like so much less than what is even normal and given that the fears had been that i would have a bleed again it was yeah i guess ironic that i didn't even wow. lose like within the normal realms but yeah. it was just such a gentle slow birth I mean not slow as in it was it was still quite quick but the delivery was slow yeah and I felt so much more in control I really focused on my breathing 
when he was being born to try and slow things down because I knew that that would reduce the risk of a blood of bleeding so it was yeah it was incredible and and it yeah just confirmed that these techniques work yeah and if that wasn't enough confirmation I've taught hundreds of women and that people have had lots of different types of births but they work you know these techniques work and they help people have better births so incredible what a lovely story you yeah. literally went from like the worst to the I don't best. know yeah I wouldn't I don't know maybe I, it was not the worst I don't think like the people definitely have you know worse, worse yeah. situations but it was um disempowering my first experience was disempowering and I just went along what I now refer to as the conveyor belt of care yeah you go through the hospital doors you relinquish all personal responsibility yeah. you place the responsibility for your body your birth and your baby in the hands of a doctor because we're so conditioned to respect authority and then we just go along this conveyor belt of care where people are obviously trying to help us but in this one size fits all approach and that's what happened to me first time yeah. round. I went in, I trusted people implicitly. I just went along with conveyor belt, didn't really understand what was happening to me yeah. or why. And obviously just got then swept along and ejected out the end <laughs> with the newborn baby. And that happens to a lot of women, unfortunately. So a lot of, of what I teach and, and in the digital pack is about feeling empowered and retaining control and remembering that it is your birth, your body, your baby, and at all times, your choice. Yeah. And what medical professionals say to you is only ever guidance. It's only ever recommendations and guidance. Nobody can order you to do anything. Mm. You know, I joke that the only time you lose autonomy over your own decisions and body is if you were arrested or sectioned. And as long as you're not being arrested or sectioned in labour, which let's hope nobody is, you have freedom of choice. You have freedom of choice over where you're going to be and what you're going to do and how you're going to give birth. And... Uh, yeah a lot of the time I'm just trying to help women feel more confident that actually they're in control mm. and they get to make the decisions amazing wow you're an absolute gem oh. for us pregnant yeah. ladies out there I cannot believe but I have this podcast this always happens to me literally every time I say I'm going to keep this one short how long have we been going we've been going for like an hour and ten minutes oh no isn't that ridiculous I could literally talk about this all day <laughs> but that's amazing you have shared so much incredible information with us I just want to do the quick fires that I always do. Okay, I feel a bit um, nervous about this because I haven't listened no, to them. Oh God, so now no. I'm like, oh no, no I should no. have done my homework and prepared. It's really, really basic. Okay. Like, you'll know everything off the top of your head. Prams. Yes. What pram did you have? Did it? Did you kind of sell and rebuy yeah. for all your kids? How? What? And what was the best I've had one? all the prams. Okay. I've had all the prams. I've been a mum for 11 and a half years. I have had all the prams <laughs> my best pram if you're buying for one child um a kind of like from newborn is a bugaboo is it yeah okay. love a bugaboo and if you've got Do two you find them too heavy no i love them okay. i really love the bugaboo yeah. I, I miss the bugaboo oh. um if you if you've got two children and they're young and they're going to be in the buggy together i've got a mountain buggy duet um, okay. and that's a side-by-side buggy and it's brilliant. It's it's the narrowest side by side buggy, so it's great for getting in doorways. Um, the problem with the bugaboo double is it doesn't get in your average door. Yeah, and you've got to take it all apart to fold it down. And the per- people that designed this have not taken into account that the mother that is trying to take down that bugaboo double one has also got two small children. Yeah. <laughs> How are you going to collapse a double buggy if it requires you to put down two children somewhere? And yeah, no. No. <laughs> the the mountain buggy collapses with one little one hand push and and oh, wow. fold thing. It's it's easy. Yeah. Um 
So big fan of, of that if you want a double. And then if you want a little lightweight stroller, there are lots in the market and I haven't tried all of those, but I do have just a little umbrella fold, uh, Mamas and Papas Erbo. Yeah. Erbo, I think that's what it's called. Not totally sure, actually. I might have made that up. I think it's an Erbo. But anyway, it's one of those umbrella fold ones. And it is pretty useful having a little lightweight stroller for mm. just throwing in the back of the car and going out and about um, once your child is a little bit older. Yeah, amazing. Um, so we've talked about birth story. What was your go-to snack during birth and birthing and during pregnancy? Was All different ones crave? for different children. Really? Yeah, crackers with the first. I ate so many Jacob's crackers when oh I was breastfeeding. Just literally got obsessed with them and munched ice all the way through my pregnancy. Did you? With the I first. Yeah, just like I'd go to bed in the middle of winter with like a pint full, pint glass full of ice and just be munching ice all night. I don't even know how I got into the habit of it. I look back and think, was it just one day I had a drink with an ice cube in it and suddenly got a taste for it and was like, I really love this ice. I don't That's know, but funny. I would eat so much ice. And then Jacob's crackers. Um with the others, I'm not sure, really. I can't think of, like, something that was... I think that's the thing. When, you, when you're having your first pregnancy, yeah. you focus on the things. Whereas when you've got three children, you don't even notice what you eat. You just try and eat when you can. Yeah. <laughs> um, I liked a Coca-Cola. Okay. Normally, I don't drink fizzy drinks. Not because of health reasons, just because I don't like them. Yeah. And I did really like the coke. Maybe I just needed the sugar. I had but a I real get thing quite into that. in my first trimester for San Pellegrino Lemon. Oh, nice. That was just... And nothing felt as refreshing as a San Pellegrino lemon, and it seemed to put my nausea at bay for about yeah. twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, that sounds nice. I don't know what I don't know what it was. It wasn't about the nausea. I think it must have just been tired. Maybe the sugar hit, yeah. but I started having a daily can of Coke and called it my Coke habit. <laughs> um, and just a daily can of Coke kept me going. Oh, um, probably funny. not healthy, but that was what I craved. So, were you solid on your baby names before you gave birth? Different children, different different things. So first baby, No, had three names for ages, even after he was born. Oshin, Noah and Milo could not decide between these three names. In the end, settled on Oshin. Mm, Weirdly, because his dad liked Noah and I liked Milo, so we couldn't agree. So we went for the one that neither of us were like particularly (laughs) mad about, but at least it was in the middle. But I love that name now. Um, second baby didn't know if it was a boy or a girl so you might think that would be more problematic choosing a name but actually we just picked a girl name and a boy name Lovely. so we didn't know whether he was going to be a boy or a girl so we had Noah not Noah I'm still going on about Noah <laughs> Arlo if he was oh, a boy lovely. and Phoenix if he was a girl okay. and so until obviously I gave birth didn't know as soon as we knew he was a boy it was straight away yeah. oh he's an Arlo That's because we had chosen Arlo. those two names yeah third baby found out that he was a boy, you know, in the scan. So then it should be easier because you know. And he's the one that was the hardest to name. Yeah. So I find that really strange that when we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, we had these two names. And then when we knew it was a boy, had literally got a list of names. And what's, he, what's he called? He's called Albie Fox. Albie Fox. And oh. couldn't choose a name and and had like a whole list of names that I liked and... And even when he was born, we had to, you know, you get six weeks to name them. We had to cancel our appointment twice and push it back, like, and keep extending it because we still couldn't name him. So he was not named till after six weeks. Oh, no. Yeah. And we, and I was just like, is he a fox? Is he an Albie? Is he a fox? Is he an Albie? Is he something else? And so, yeah. And so he's still now, he's just turned two. He gets called 
Alby, Albers, Albatross, Albatron, Foxy, Foxy Bingos, Bingalings. Like, he has a hundred names, and I think he's going to have some kind of identity crisis. Cause I do, who am I? He answers to everything. Oh, that's so. so funny. Well, that's good in a way. Yeah. Um, so we've answered, did you find out it's poison now? Um, hospital bag. Yes. What would you recommend, because I think you're yeah. a pro on this, what would you recommend mums take? So I have an in-depth birth bag packing list uh, in you? the course notes booklet, oh which God, this is amazing. if you go on the course, you get that. And if you if you buy the digital pack, you can download the course notes booklet. And so it's, it's in there. But um, in terms of things for mum, I suppose, there's the obvious ones, like, you know, you want to have maternity pads and big, comfortable pants and comfortable clothes to wear mm-hmm. um breast pads bra you know easy fitting bras things like that, that you can clip and unclip but also things to make the environment nice i think that's quite important so remember yeah. the tea lights a room spray some music that you might want to play and then your snacks and drinks and things like that would you recommend any number one snack that's really good for you that or is it literally personal choice I think it's personal choice, and also you probably gather that I'm not the most healthy. <laughs> I'm <laughs> no, not. I'm not it. a health advocate. <laughs> um, so Mars I, bar. yeah, I just had. I had Mars bars. I had Jelly Babies, and I had all the things that. So I quick, liked. easy things that you mm. can just grab and shove it. Banana. 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 Banana's hard to pack. It gets a bit battered, and it yeah. might be a little a bit soggy by the time you give. I don't think I'd be looking forward to a banana if I was in No one, No one wants a soggy banana. (laughs) I loved coconut water. Yeah. I loved coconut water. I had loads of that ready in the fridge and then took that with me. So I had, that was really nice. But yeah, I I like a treat. I like a bit of a a sugar hit. Mm. Me too. Um, Is there anything you bought or felt pressured into buying when you were pregnant, which you wish you hadn't now? So anything that you just look at and think, well, that was a useless purchase. Baby bath. <laughs> Baby bath. I don't Maybe know. I, I, initially, anyway, because it's it's big, big plastic thing. It's hard to store, isn't it? Yeah. And I don't know. I, I didn't use the baby bath. So what did you do? So first of all, when the baby's newborn, you know, you're not really like washing them at much. Are you not? No. I have no idea. And then, then I found sinks really useful. <laughs> so yeah. you've got that nice sink I can see behind you, yeah. like a Belfast sort of sink. You know, then you can stand up, so you're not like crouching down. You can kind of like wash your baby in the sink. Yeah. I found that was like much more comfortable than trying to put a baby bath in the base of a bath and then lean over and break yeah. your back. You know. Um, and then sometimes I would go in the bath with the baby, you know, so then just lay him on my chest and he yeah. liked being in the water and that was really Aww. nice. So I liked having baths with him. And then after a while I had like a little baby bath seat thing okay. that just went in the bath. So I'd fill up the bath. So obviously it was just very shallow and this kind of like supportive, you know, quite small, so easy to store. And then he would sort of be supported on that when he was slightly older and I would like kneel beside the bath. Yeah. But I just found I never used the, that big plastic baby bath. If you bath with them, that's quite nice, isn't it? Because then you get a bath as well. Yeah, it's really nice. And they generally quite like nice. They, they, they like the water. and mm. But the big plastic baths, you know the ones I mean, the yeah, big I kind do. of, they take up loads of space. Yeah. And, you know, they're not particularly nice on the eye. And they're just hanging around then. When your baby's small enough to go in it, they're not even going to be sitting up in it anyway. Yeah. You know, so, I don't know. I think that. Yeah, I, I actually completely agree. Our bath upstairs is a bit of a nightmare if you want to lean over because yeah. it's not actually attached to the ground, which we need to sort before we have <laughs> um, So if I lean up against it, yeah. it moves. Oh, that's not helpful. Not helpful. Well, the, the sink is perfect. Mm. You can fit a baby in that big sink for oh, quite a long time. <laughs> yeah, and it's perfect. And you can bath your baby standing up and it's much yeah. easier. Yeah. 
Amazing. Well, that is the end of the quick fire. She can relax. (laughs) Is there anything else that you would like? Do share now your kind of social media handles, how people can get hold of the birthing digital pack. One thing I was going to ask you, obviously you're based down here, but you go to Birmingham and London. So your course dates, I'm guessing, are online. Yes, so I teach monthly group courses in London, Devon and Birmingham. Mm. And all the dates are on the website and book through the website. So that's the positivebirthcompany.co.uk. I am on YouTube. So I've got a whole series of free YouTube videos. So they're a really good place to go and start. And a really good introduction to hypnobirthing. And that's youtube.com forward slash the positive birth company. Mm-hmm. I am on Instagram and Facebook, the positive birth company. <laughs> you see a theme here. <laughs> <laughs> easy and, to find. Yeah, easy to find. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, you know, there's birth stories all the time being yeah, shared, positive affirmations and information, things like that. And then the digital pack, which is my new baby, yes. is the full hypnobirthing course in video format. So 43 videos. There's over six hours of content. Mm-hmm four mp3s to download the 30 page course notes booklet that i've talked about um birth preferences template and a sample copy and then access to this amazing online community a private online community for ongoing support where people are sharing their stories positive birth stories every single day wow. and that is 35 pounds wow yeah it's the world's most affordable and accessible hypnobirthing program and i'm super proud of that because that's my whole mission is to try and make this more accessible for everyone so yes 35 pounds and hopefully it will always be 35 pounds and that is the yeah the full course online the digital pack so in addition to this stuff if you're local to this area yes are you available to go to people's births with them and kind of be there or no that's no. not something I do so like a doula yeah. it would be an incredible job to be a doula and I would, yeah, I would like, like love I'd love I was somebody's birth partner once and it was absolutely incredible to be Aww. on the other side it was I was just in awe it's just incredible to witness yeah but um no not not qualified to be a doula and also uh, not the time or the logistical childcare to be able to That's be on call for people's births, it just wouldn't yeah. be possible. So, Would no. you recommend a doula? Or do you think if you have a supportive partner or husband, that's enough? If you have a supportive birth partner who's done the hypnobirthing course and has learned how to support you in birth, then I don't think, I mean, I don't want to discredit doulas. You know, if you can afford to have a doula as well, mm. then they're only ever going to be helpful. Mm. But you don't need a doula if you've got the birth... The reason why you want a doula is to support you and advocate for you and, and help you. Yeah. And if you've got a birth partner that is able to do that, then you know, you've know you got that in, in your birth partner. They're essentially your doula. They're yeah. your birth support. So um, on the course I teach, obviously birth partners come generally with, with the mums-to-be. Some people, it's their partner, their husband, their wife, their, their um, mother, their sister. You know, It can be anyone, a friend. And then if you do the digital pack, obviously you can just access the videos so you can watch them together or you can get your birth partner to watch the ones that you think are most relevant. But as long as the birth partner understands what your wishes are, feels confident enough to advocate for you, has the tools to be able to support you, which is what you know mm. they learn on the course, then they should be able to, to, to do that job. Mm. Um, obviously some people don't have that for whatever reason and then a doula would be an invaluable resource because that's somebody that's there to support you and look after you mm. whereas midwives you know they're amazing but their main focus is on looking after you from a medical point of view of and course. the well-being of you and your baby having that emotional support that coach that's going to help you through every single surge that's really 
the role of, of your birth partner or your doula. So yeah, they can be absolutely incredible, but also birth partners, you know, can be incredible too. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so, so much. We no are problem. going to Thank you for having me. Leave it there. No, my absolute pleasure. <laughs> my absolute pleasure. I'm so happy that you're local so we can yeah. do this and it's easy. Um, so there we have it with Siobhan. So do look her up. Do go and check it out. She shared some absolutely invaluable information. So go and have a look. Um, and if you have any questions, then I'm sure I can forward them through and she'd be happy to ask. Or you can just contact her directly through the Positive Birth Company. Um, remember, there's the Facebook page, Mum Talk Podcast on Facebook. So if you've got any questions there, then I would be happy to kind of check those out for you. And I hope you've enjoyed. All right. Catch you next week.